need your help this morning. We're going to do a little comparative analysis. You can either say close, not close at all. So comparing two things, they're either close or they're not close at all. So we'll start with a, kind of a simple comparison to get you thinking this morning. Bob Vila's home improvement abilities or my home improvement abilities? Close or not close? Depending on which direction you're going, could uh, determine that. Cheerios or Honey Nut Cheerios? Close? Not close. Some of you are starting to raise your voice. Settle down. It's okay. It's okay. Mellow Yellow or Mountain Dew? Whoa, whoa. Be very careful. This could get you disciplined from the church. Close? Not close. All right. Visiting the dentist or visiting B&G Milky Way? Close? Not close. Pretty simple. Your life today or your life to come? Your life today or your life to come? Depends on how your life is today, probably. But the Apostle Paul would say pretty clearly that actually our life to come is not even close to our life today. In our lives, we do a lot of comparing. We're constantly comparing. We're comparing ourselves to other people. We're comparing products against each other. And a lot of times, comparison is dangerous because it makes us want something more and more. But there's actually a place in the Bible where we're encouraged to compare, where it talks about a comparison that'll help us. And that comparison is when we compare our present life to our life that is to come. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that nothing compares to our present. Our present suffering does not compare to our future glory. Or in other words, nothing compares with that which is going to be revealed, the redemption of our bodies. This morning, we want to talk about that which nothing compares to. We want to talk about that when we compare it to anything else is actually going to change our lives. We want to look at that this morning that weighs so much that it outweighs anything else in life. What is that? That is our future glory. Romans chapter 8 uses the language, your future glory, the redemption of your body. Well, what is our future glory as followers of Jesus Christ? Most time when we talk about our future glory, we bring it down and we understand that as heaven. Heaven is our future glory as followers of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of confusion today about heaven. On one hand, we don't talk about heaven at all. Rarely in the church do we talk about heaven. The only time that heaven gets any publicity is when somebody has a dream or some out-of-body experience and they write a book. But outside of that, we don't talk a lot about heaven. When in reality, we should be talking about heaven all of the time. Heaven is amazing. 
And we want to ask ourselves, what is heaven? What is this future glory that we have? This morning, I want to give you three must-know things about heaven. Three must-know things about heaven. The first thing we have to understand about heaven is this, and it's the most complicated, is that the current heaven is not the eternal heaven. The Bible teaches us that right now there is a heavens kind of outside of earth, outside of humanity. There's an atmosphere or something out there where the Spirit of God is dwelling, where the person of Jesus Christ is currently dwelling. And then there's earth where humanity, God's creation, is currently dwelling. And so there's that current heaven. We would teach that at that current heaven is when we lose a loved one. When we lose a loved one, we would believe that the Bible teaches that that loved one goes to rest in the current heaven. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. We do know that the current heaven is not the eternal heaven. So we know that when our loved ones are resting right, right now, those who have already passed from this life, the Bible describes them as simply being in the presence of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul describes in Philippians chapter 3 that he yearns to, be, to depart and be with Christ or to stay in the flesh. We know that when we depart from the flesh, we rest in the presence of God. But we don't know exactly what that looks like, how that functions. But we also know it's only temporary. So this is a little complicated and sometimes can confuse people, but our loved ones who have passed away, they're not in their permanent resting place yet. They are not in their permanent everlasting home because that everlasting home has not yet been created. So what you have to know about heaven is this. The current heaven is the temporary heaven. There's a permanent heaven coming. That permanent heaven is a merger. Revelation chapter 21 that we read earlier in our service describes it for us. That Jesus says when he comes, he comes and there's a new Jerusalem coming. That basically heaven is invading earth. And what happens at that time is the current heaven and the current earth come together. The current heaven and the current earth pass away. In a sense, there's this transformation. And then established and created is this new one entity. There's, been, there's going to be a merger when the kingdom of God is going to come to earth and create one brand new entity. Many of you are probably familiar with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer opens kind of by saying, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, what we're praying for is literally that Jesus would come and establish a new kingdom right here on earth, that there'd be a merger of the current heaven and the current earth. When Jesus says in the Bible that, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, what that means is that the current heaven is going to come, and it's coming soon, and it's going to merge and give us a brand new entity, a brand new creation. And that brand new creation is going to be the everlasting creation. So right now, to recap very simply, our loved ones are sleeping or resting in the presence of God. Many of us have been taught, and we have little books that, you know, when our loved ones die, they're up in heaven, floating around on clouds or driving their favorite car. I don't mean to burst anyone's spirit this morning. That's simply not true because they don't have a body. And the future glorious moment 
is when we have a new body. So our loved ones are safe because they're in the presence of God. They're resting securely. But the great event is still to come. The great event is when there's a brand new heaven and earth together as one. So the first thing about heaven is the current heaven is temporary, leading us to an everlasting heaven that will come at the return of Jesus Christ. The second thing that you must know about heaven is this. The main act of heaven is the presence of God. If I asked you today, what's the greatest thing about heaven? What are you looking forward to most about heaven? I mean, most people, and rightfully so, got a couple of answers. It usually goes like this. Number one, I get to be with my loved ones again. That's cool. That's, that's fabulous. Is that not great that there's this promised everlasting life? That's awesome. The second thing that we usually say is there's no more pain or suffering. That's, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, you don't have to take your 17 pills anymore when you wake up in the morning. That's a good gig. So that's good news about heaven. And then sometimes we say, oh, it's going to be so great. We take what's been great for us here on earth and we project it onto heaven. And we say, it's just going to be that much greater. All of those things are, are partially true. But the greatest thing of heaven, that which makes heaven great, without it, heaven would be hell. Let me say again. Without it, heaven would be hell. Even if we had our loved ones and we didn't have any more physical suffering. Why? Because God would not be present. Turn with me in your Bible to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. What's so great about heaven? Revelation 21, verse 3. The new Jerusalem is coming. There's this merger that's taking place. Revelation 21, verse 3, it says this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The good news of heaven is that God is present. The greatness of heaven is found in being in the full presence of God. That I am physically going to be fully present with the living creator of the universe. I will need nothing else. I won't notice if there are anything missing that I thought was going to be in heaven because God will be there. The whole emphasis of this verse is what? Is that God is going to be with his people. That relationship is going to be restored. Read on a little bit further. Look with me down here to verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. What's the heritage? And I will be his God and he will be my son. The heritage is that the relationship is fully restored. The gift is God himself. The beauty of heaven is the presence of Jesus the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. We should yearn for heaven because we yearn for God. Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, I would encourage you to memorize. And if you have a little file somewhere, some people do this, and this may sound weird, but I actually I kind of think this is important. If you have a little file somewhere that says funeral on it, write this in there. If I'm not your pastor, when the time comes, write this in there, Psalm 16. 
because this is the glorious message. This needs to be read to people who gather together to remember you. They need to hear the good news. Psalm 16, verse 5, the psalmist says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What's the inheritance? The inheritance is back in verse 5 where it says, The Lord is my chosen portion. The psalmist is saying, you know what my inheritance is? Why it's so great is God is my inheritance. My chosen portion is God himself. This is good news that you and I get God. Now let's read on here in Psalm 16, verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. This is saying here, you will not abandon my spirit to the place of death. Sheol is place of death. Some people refer to this actually as a garbage dump, as a place where there's this resting place. There's a little bit of debate over exactly what it is. But the main message the psalmist is saying is this. Even if I have to go to Sheol and rest in Sheol, guess what? I will not be abandoned. I'm going to rest securely. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure because I'm not going to experience corruption in that place of death. He's not going to experience corruption. He's secure. And then verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why are there pleasures forevermore in heaven? Why is there fullness of joy in heaven? Because God is there. The magnificence of heaven is that we are fully in the presence of God. This should excite you. This should cause you to rejoice. This should cause you to yearn for heaven, that you are fully in the presence of God. We have a new sign at our house that must have been bought a little while ago that I walked in. You see this sign down by the keys, and it says something like, um, happy to be home because at home, I'm with you. And it's like, finally, my wife realized that the reason our home is so great is that I'm here thing. That what makes home so great is what? You get to be fully in my presence. And maybe some of you have a sign like that as well, that what makes home great is what? Who's there? That the home is not made by the physical structure, but it's made by the presence of the people. Heaven is so great because of the presence of the one who's there, God himself. There is nothing more a person could ask for. There is nothing more a heart could yearn for, but the presence of God. The moment you've tasted God once in a relationship, you just yearn more and more for heaven in the presence of God because you simply want to be with him. And that's the magnificence of heaven Heaven is great because God is there. There's a lot of mystery about what happens in heaven. But, but the big ticket item has been taken care of. It's great because God is there. And we cannot minimize this. We cannot minimize this. Too often we sell heaven without Jesus. It's simply not heaven. Heaven is only great because of the presence of God. Everything else flows from that. 
Why is there no pain in heaven? Why is everything healed in heaven? Because God is fully present there. Everything else is secondary. So heaven, the current heaven is not the eternal heaven. Heaven is great because God is there. And now we get to some fun stuff. The third must-know about heaven is that heaven is great because you get a new body. This is awesome. Again, we never talk about this. We never talk about this. When this is the message of Christianity is the resurrection. When you die, your greatest hope is not that you're going to be floating around there like the Jetsons. Your greatest hope is that at some point in the future, that grave is going to be opened up. And that grave, when it's opened up, there's going to be a brand new body. And that body is going to be magnificent. Guess what we know about that body? We know some stuff about that body because Jesus has already been resurrected. And the scriptures tell us that we're going to be glorified like Jesus, that our inheritance is the same inheritance as Jesus. So if you want a little picture of what the eternal life is going to be like, look at the life of Jesus after his resurrection. There's some really cool stuff. One that I enjoy the most is this. Jesus eats after the resurrection. I, I contend that in heaven, we get to eat for enjoyment, not nourishment. Goodbye vegetables thing. <laughs> Finally, some of you are excited for heaven. That we are, we're going to have physical bodies that eat in heaven. It's going to be fabulous. Not only do we have physical bodies that eat, but this is just crazy. Jesus' physical body somehow walks through walls. That there's this whole new dimension to creation. And if we're perfectly glorified like Jesus, there's going to be this whole new dimension to us. What we see right now is just a glimpse. What you have in your body right now is just a glimpse of the perfect resurrection that's coming. 1 Corinthians 15 describes it like this, that the resurrected body is imperishable. In other words, you're not going to rust at all. There's going to be no dust to clean up. Your body's going to be perfect. It's going to function the way God intended it to function. I mean, we could dream and all day long about how great this is going to be. But the main truth is that we're going to have glorified, resurrected bodies like Jesus Christ. We're going to be fully in the presence of the living God in a brand new, merged together, perfect creation. That's good news. That's why Paul is able to say, hey, this present suffering that I'm undergoing, guess what? It doesn't compare at all to the future glory. And do you know the kind of suffering that Paul was undergoing? It's not like Paul was just saying this kind of speculating. Paul was undergoing suffering that most of us will never even get close to. Paul was being physically harmed routinely for preaching the gospel. Paul had undergone some different shipwrecks. Paul had seen partners in the gospel killed. Not just killed like, hey, we're going to take this person, take him to prison, and then put him to death. Killed as in this. I'm going to burn him to the stake right in front of you. I'm going to put him on a cross right in front of you. Can you imagine seeing a friend, seeing a co-worker, 
burned alive right in front of you. Him being said this, it's your fault. Paul was under that kind of pressure continuously from governing authorities and other religious authorities. Paul knew suffering. He knew suffering really well. And yet he says, the weight of my current circumstance is squished by the coming weight of my future glory. Paul was able to stay strong and be joyful because the future glory far outweighed any of the present suffering. If you and I become obsessed with our future glory, what happens? What happens is I call the double P effect. Two things happen. The first thing that happens is this. We get proper perspective. When we're obsessed with heaven, we get proper perspective. We recognize that everything we see is not all there is to the story. When we get proper perspective, we know that what we're experiencing is temporary, not eternal. We have to have proper perspective to set priorities. We have to have proper perspective to remain joyful in the midst of difficult circumstances. Get obsessed with your future glory. It'll give you proper perspective. But not only will your future glory give you proper perspective, your future glory will give you power for today. Look with me if you would. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, I want to look at the final verse of the chapter. This is the most famous chapter on the resurrection, on life after death. He spends the whole chapter talking about how Jesus has been raised, you're going to be raised, death has been defeated, and he gets to the end. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So let's just put it very bluntly. Paul is saying this. Because of the resurrection, get back to work. Stop sitting around. You've got strength for today. You've got a reason to live today, to go about and do the good deeds. You've got a reason today to continue your good work. Why? Because there's hope. Death has been defeated. What happens when a person becomes hopeless? This is going to sound really mean. When a person becomes hopeless, they become useless. They become a drain on society. Because when there's hopelessness, what do you do? You go home at night and you sit. You sit and you mope. You need to be served. You're not effective in what you do because you're always down. Hopelessness drains you of all life. But Paul is saying, because we have hope, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have power for today. Because guess what? Tomorrow matters. Not only tomorrow matters, but guess what? There's going to be an eternity. So keep on going. Keep on plugging. When it feels like you're weary, when it feels like you're weak, guess what? Keep on going. Because there's hope. Because your greatest enemy has already been defeated. And when you're hopeful, what are you doing? You're living. You're digging in. You want the best for today when you're hopeful. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
we have hope for tomorrow, which gives us our strength for today. And tomorrow's hope, which is our future glory, overcomes everything in the present. This morning I want to finish by talking about a difficult subject. Something that is gripping so many of us of life. And that's the issue of grief. Everybody here at some point is going to have to grieve a loss. It might be the loss of a person. It might be the loss of a job. And grief is a really difficult thing. Grief can do a couple of things to you. There's three different pathways that grief can take you on. First, grief can lead to apathy. Basically make you care less about stuff because you're struggling. Apathy leads to depression. Depression leads to what? Continual hopelessness, uselessness. That, that's a cycle that we fall into. Grief, apathy, depression. The other thing that grief leads to? Grief leads to guilt. It sounds weird, but grief leads to guilt because you're like, well, why do I get what they didn't get? Or leave Grief leads to guilt because you're struggling with your grief. You're not able to live fully. You feel guilty about the grief you have. And then what does the guilt do? Guilt creates separation between you and God. And God doesn't want that separation. The other thing that grief can do is grief can create anger. Grief makes you angry at God because you lost something or someone. But grief also makes you what? Angry at other people. This is really under the surface. But what happens is, is you lost someone that no one else had to lose. So you begin to look at other people differently. You begin to sometimes be angry that they get what you didn't get to experience or have. That anger then leads to serious disappointment. Not just disappointment, but it leads to destruction of your own personal soul and your well-being. Grief can just fall into these dangerous, dangerous cycles. The Bible tells us something big difference between us and the rest of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes about Jesus' resurrection and says Jesus is coming again to establish a kingdom. Therefore, we do not grieve as those who have no hope like the rest of the world. We grieve differently. So what does it look like for a Christian to grieve? A Christian should grieve like the following. The moment that the pain comes, the moment that the pain comes, we need to do two things. First thing we need to do is this, and this sounds different. We need to say automatically, God, thank you for that gift of life. If you lost a child at four years, 10 years, 15 year olds, you need to say, God, thank you for that gift, whether it's only six months it was a day or it was 15 years because that life, no matter how long, was still a gift. So you got to burn it into your mind. You got to right away say, God, thank you for that gift. The second thing you got to do right away, just train your mind, is that the moment the loss comes up, it has to be a trigger to remind you of what? The resurrection. The moment you start thinking about the loss, you've got to say to yourself, thank you, Jesus for the everlasting resurrection. You just have, those things have to be a trigger. This, again, it sounds mechanical, 
And it sounds like, well, it just doesn't sound like the best way to handle it. But what you're doing is you're repeating God's truth to yourself. The true truth that life is a gift and that death has been conquered by the resurrection. You've got to continually say this to yourself. So how would we handle grieving? We give thanks to the life. It's countercultural. It sounds weird. And we remind ourselves of the resurrection. The final thing that we do is this. We openly talk about the loss. This is the biggest mistake some of us make as Christians. The loss happens, and we don't talk about it anymore at all. God doesn't want that. God did not create us to stuff it or not talk about it. God created us first to talk about the gift of that person. And so when something funny happens that reminds you of that person, you should say it. It's going to be hard at first, absolutely. But you should say it to celebrate the gift of the life that you had. When you're out fishing and you're reminded of how your dad taught you to fish and your dad's not there anymore, that just it's, it's okay to be reminded of your dad and say, oh, that's great that I had a dad that taught me how to fish. You need to talk about the loss. Not just talk about the person, you need to talk about what it's doing to you. What kind of struggle is it causing? You need to say that to someone else. You need to say to someone else, hey, losing that job is causing me to really rethink my personal abilities and skills that I have. You need to express that in an environment where you can walk through it with someone. So many of us think we're Mr. and Mrs. Tough Guy and Tough Gal. We just stu tough it, stuff it, and expect that over time it'll go away. Guess what? It will not go away. It will not go away. We have to deal with it now. And we deal with it now by talking about it, remembering the loss, expressing what the loss is doing to us, and then at the same time giving thanks to God for that gift of life and reminding ourselves of the resurrection. This isn't easy. This isn't easy stuff at all. But God has given us something. God has given us a future glory, something that's beyond our wildest imagination. And that future glory should be bringing us freedom today to live, to grieve in a healthy way and continue to experience life as God desires it. And so today I want to encourage you if the circumstances in your life are overwhelming, they're heavy, remember the weight of your future glory, that you get to be with God for eternity in a brand new body, in a brand new creation. And as you're struggling today with your present circumstance, would you step out and talk to someone today about your present circumstance? You know why the church feels like a bunch of stuffed animals sometimes and why people don't participate in a church? Because sometimes in the church, the people are the last to talk about their difficult circumstances. And then other people come to church and they go, jeez, but it's your goody two-shoes. You don't have anything going on in life. Not like me at all. By expressing your circumstance and what it's doing, maybe you could actually help someone else along with yourself. One simple question for you this morning. What is your future? What is your future?
the Bible is really clear. For those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, their future is an everlasting home in the presence of God with a brand new body. And when you can answer that question, what is my future? You'll have strength for today. What is your future? Let us pray. Almighty God, Father, we come before you this morning coming from a variety of life experiences. Some of us come from a life of wealth. Some of us come from a life of struggle. All of us come carrying different experiences of loss and suffering and grief. And so this morning, O oh God, we lay those experiences before you. We acknowledge that our heart is hurting. We acknowledge that the loss has stolen life from us. God, help us now to grieve in a healthy way. Put people in our lives that we can grieve alongside and experience healing. Lord, this morning I pray for anyone that's struggling, that's in that depression, that's in that angst, that's in that despair. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would capture their hearts with the hope of the resurrection. God, thank you for victory in Jesus. We praise you today, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would remind us daily of the victory we have in Jesus. God, we praise you. We want to be with you. So, God, we ask that you would come and be with us. Establish your kingdom here on earth. God of heaven, come. Bring victory to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.